Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 425. My name is Noah. And I'm Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Thanks so much for filling in for Mr. Chris Fisher today. He'll be back with you next week. This is an exciting episode. This week on the Linux Action Show, we are going to talk about how AltaSpeed has replaced their remote help desk solution with... Well, I won't give you the name, but suffice to say, it beats the heck out of TeamViewer and definitely will hopefully not screw us like Screen Connect did. Uh, coming up in the news segment, we're going to talk about encryption on Android, as well as Skype getting possibly a second chance on Linux. All that plus the feedback. And you know what else, Ryan? What's that? Oh, the, the picks. The picks. The picks. It's usually my line, but I'm giving it to you. I tried to give it to you. We're going to talk Thank about you. the picks. Now, our first pick is our Runs Linux. Now, this is super exciting to me. I almost stopped and picked up myself some donuts to celebrate this pick. Turns out Tim Hortons runs Linux. That's right. On the menu system, you can actually see up at the top that they have the, uh, one of their menu systems has crashed. And it's it's actually, it's kind of funny. The only time we ever know that something... Well, it's the menu system. So it's what shows the donuts that are available for sale and the coffee and the drinks. No, and I stuff mean, like, like what's the what's the broken one doing? I, I, it's hard to read. Like, it's, yeah, it it's obviously broken. But. I don't know. <laughs> Brian, that's not the important part. The important part is it runs Linux. Oh, okay. Why it's not running Linux at this very moment is irrelevant. The point is it's running Linux. We should celebrate. I, I don't know what's wrong. Uh, uh, chat room, uh, you guys, that's your job. I, I task you to go through and look at that picture and tell me why. Enhanced. Yeah, enhanced. Enhance. Enhance. Are you a Super Troopers fan? Super uh, Troopers. Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, uh, go ahead. Well, just Chris is not a Super Troopers fan, so that reference gets lost on him sometimes. Well, it's not, because he now he's, <laughs> now he's seen it, so he gets it. I still don't think he thinks it's as funny as I do. But, uh, but so anyway, so Tim Hortons is running Linux. I'd be interested, if anyone knows the menu system specifically that's running Linux, if you know of the specific, it would probably not be a distro, it's probably an appliance of sorts. But if you happen to know what that is, let me know. Go over to uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com and click on the contact link and let me know. I'd be interested to see what you what you think about that, uh, if you know what software that is specifically. Now, before yeah, we, if, sorry, if somebody works at the company that provides that solution, too, like that would be a great interview about what that sales process looks like, about if people even know or care, you know, these businesses that are purchasing that solution. Yeah, that like, would, I mean, that that would be that ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I, yeah, every once in a while that happens. I feel like you have to get pretty lucky though for that to be a thing. Hey, Ryan, you know what else you have to be pretty lucky for is to be able to run your own server. Now, if you can't afford your own server because they're a couple thousand dollars, you can head over to my friends over at digitalocean.com. Use the code. Here's the thing. All one word, like you're slurring it. Now, DigitalOcean is a VPS provider that allows you to spin up your own Linux server on the internet with 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 amazing bandwidth. Uh, we were just having a discussion in the mumble room a couple of nights ago about how uh, you could run these various services and if you could run them on your house or where would be the best place to do that. And then a couple of days later, we are talking and Alan suggested that, yeah, you know, you could run some servers at your house, but you're going to be limited on the bandwidth that you have available to you. Now, 
having done the shows from Grand Forks uh, this week and most of last week, one of the things that I've appreciated is being able to tie right into the DigitalOcean infrastructure. And Chris has basically moved a large portion of the studio from Seattle up into the cloud. And so I can access the cloud from here in Grand Forks, regardless of where I am. And then when I went to Seattle, I just brought the cloud down back with me into Seattle, though I left the rain in Seattle because not really into that much rain. But DigitalOcean is an amazing way to get all of that done. And if you use our if you if you use our code, here's the thing: you're going to get ten dollars off your first Linux rig. Or in my case, I split that up over two rigs. So head over to Linux, uh, Digital <laughs> DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code. Here's the thing: try it out. I promise you, I've tried all the VPSs. This one's the best. Now, Ryan, I want. No, so, oh, good. Wait. Okay, so DigitalOcean, like, I just want to give you guys some secret sauce. They know about Mycroft. We have a very close relationship with them. All of our infrastructure runs on uh, on DigitalOcean. They actually go out of their way to talk to us at the conferences that we're at and ask us how things are going. Eris is our customer service manager. Really? She takes the time to, yeah, she takes the time to always pull me and uh, our systems architect guy aside and say, hey, how's it going? What do you need? You know, it's it usually where everything's going great. So she says, hey, it's been a while since we've spoken. You know, our, how's this going? How's that going? And she always remembers exactly what we were talking about the last time we spoke to them. And uh, they have just been fantastic, absolutely fantastic on on helping us get our distributed network around the world so that people, no matter where you're at, what continent you're in, you can talk to Mycroft and get a response very quickly, get get access to the things that you <laughs> that you want to on the Mycroft network. And, you know, just recently we we actually set up our our worldwide uh, uh, Mycroft master uh, inner data center VPN that makes it really easy for us to to have all of our servers communicate with one another all across the world. And uh, sometime we'll have to have uh, Aaron, our, our systems architect, talk about how he set that up and and what a what an incredible experience that was to have that, first off cheap access to all these servers across the world. And then secondly, how we connected those and made it so that we were able to serve people in Frankfurt in Singapore, you know, wherever they're at, they, it takes very little time at all for them to hit a server near them for, for the, for the stuff that they need. And so uh, it's a f- amazing service. I remember the first VPSs I bought paying so much money for them and like they weren't even all that great. And now it takes like no time at all. We use the API and we use salt for configuration yeah. management and we are able yep. to spin stuff up and down like, yeah, it's, in no time. And you know, I, and I too, I've used a bunch of them and, and DigitalOcean definitely tastes the cake. One of the things that I've actually done is I, I have, we're using uh, DigitalOcean for all of the services that we provide over at AltaSpeed and we switched recently from an old ticketing system to a new ticketing system. Now the old ticketing system, we're no longer really maintaining so I'm not keeping a very good eye on it. And so sometimes it kind of drops off the radar and then people need to go get data out of it and it's down. Uh, and so one of the things that I've been using to uh, keep an eye on this is Ping Indicator. Now Ping Indicator is a Unity app that basically, and I'm going to show you here, basically what it does is it creates little bars and you can decide what uh, services uh, are attached to any of those bars. So for the first bar on the left, I have 8.8.8.8, basically my connection to the internet. Can I get traffic outside of my local area network. My second bar is google.com, which is basically telling me, can I translate 
can I translate names into IP addresses? Is that working? And then my third bar is our old ticketing system that tells me how is our old ticketing system doing? Is that online? And so just by glancing up at the corner, I can immediately get in uh, a glimpse at what's going on uh, on my world around me. And for somebody like Chris, who lives on the internet, who, re who, who requires an internet connection to put food on his table, it's kind of like a graphical representation of his income, right? <laughs> like if it's there, he's making money. If it's not there, he's not making money. Um, and so it's available in Unity. Gnome has had this for quite some time. And we have talked about how it would be really nice if something like this came to Unity. While it's here, ping-indicator, uh, it's, it's, you download the debut install, it's a pretty simple program, and you can add as many of those bars or monitor as many of those services as you want. I really like it. Ryan, do you have a use for something like this? I mean, yeah, we, we really, I, I find that I like the really hardcore monitoring solutions for like Sensu app and OpenNMS and, and Nagios, but uh, but this is nice if I if I really just want to know the status of a couple of things and have it right there up in the corner. And I could see that being being useful more so for my local network and, and some of my own personal projects. You know, if it comes to the bigger stuff, I'll probably, like I said, fall back to those other monitoring solutions and have it just text me or for sure or hit me up in some way, you know, if something's having issues. But yeah, at least for my own stuff, especially at the house. Sometimes I'm curious and I even know where like the the stuff on the ISPs network is because I because I actually uh, my co-founder owns the ISP that I use. So the Mycroft co-founder, Josh, owns the ISP that I use. So like I would like to know sometimes like how long did it take to get to, you know, the <laughs> the network device in the in the ISP's data center, you know, and things like that. Um, I could see myself using it for for personal stuff. Uh and and maybe to monitor a couple of the the front facing Mycroft uh, websites for sure. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's a neat thing. I love how they indicate the actual. I, I mean, its name is Pinger Indicator, but yeah, I like how the red thing just clearly stands out, and you're like, oh yep. shoot, something, yeah, it definitely something. lets you know right when it's offline. There's no question about it. Hey, another great app that is fundamentally enabled us to do uh, these kind of broadcasts. And, and actually, really, I would not have been able to fill in for crit. I probably would have. It would have just been a lot more hard. Um, is OBS Studio. Now, OBS Studio is basically what Jupyter Broadcasting has been uh, slowly migrating to for various different things. And basically what it is, if you haven't heard about it before, and I don't know how that's even possible unless you live under a rock, it's basically a broadcast suite, a, 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 a tool set, if you will, of broadcast uh, tools that you can uh, you install it and then you can capture your screen or you can you know capture a video output output so we have this connected to HDMI capture interfaces all the way around this studio and then I'm transmitting all this stuff up to our digital ocean droplet and then that's being sent down through the cloud to all of the various little services that you guys are now watching um, and I wouldn't have been able to do the broadcast here in Grand Forks if it wasn't thanks to OBS Studio. So thank you so much, guys, for the hard work and amazing product that you're putting out. Every time a release comes out, and they had a new one this week, and Rakai and I were going through it, every time it comes out, they are adding features every time that are like, 
That is a game changer. That is a game changer. That is a game changer. Latest release, you're going to be able to pull video straight from VLC and stream it out. So no longer are we going to have to do this capture window and capture VLC, and then we have to put up with the fact that it overlays these titles and all this nonsense, tie straight in with VLC so we can have the reruns playing without a whole lot of uh, uh, setup. So huge thanks to the open broadcaster guys. You guys are doing a great job and fundamentally making our uh, our show possible, especially here from Grand Forks, where I don't have some of the sophisticated capture and 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 transcoding and you know various machines that that we have back at JB One. Um, but with the picks out of the way, let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and the news is brought to you by Ting.com. Everybody go to last.ting.com. They'll give you $25 off your first device or your first month of service. Now, I have been getting into discussions with people about Ting. Basically, everywhere I go, we talk about, uh, somebody talks about Ting, and I get tweets about people that have switched to Ting, and I get emails about people that have switched to Ting. But Oftentimes, th- this has been the this has been the ongoing discussion the last couple of times that I've talked about Ting with people in person. People say, "But Noah, you don't understand. I would switch to Ting because their prices are super competitive and their service is great, and there's really nothing not to like. Except, I can't order my phones online. I don't want to order my phones online. I want to go into a store and I want to buy a phone and walk out of it because." If my phone breaks, I need to be able to go and replace it right away because I depend on my phone because we don't have a landline and, you know, insert a whole host of excuses of why you have to have a local store. But it's fine. I get it. You can buy a phone locally that works perfectly with Ting. You go into any Best Buy and they now have an entire section. And it used to be like there were like two phones. No, now they have like an entire section of unlocked GSM phones. And if you don't like Best Buy, because I said this like last week and then a bunch of people wrote in so they don't like Best Buy, go to Amazon. Amazon also has a wide selection of unlocked GSM phones. And the thing about Ting is they support you saving money. They only charge you for what you use. So if you don't use any minutes, they don't charge you for any minutes. If you don't send any text messages, which believe me, I don't, they don't send, they don't charge you for any text messages. And if you're a data fiend like me and you do everything over Telegram and Hangouts and Zoiper, then they're just going to charge you for that data. But when you're on Wi-Fi or when you're traveling out of the country to Japan, they don't charge you for that time or that data because you didn't use any. So they only charge you for what you use. And because they're interested, they have a vested interest in you saving money, they have no problem with you going to Best Buy or Amazon and buying a phone. I bought an unlocked blue, um, I don't remember exactly the model, but it was like it was like 89 bucks. And it's a brand new LTE unlocked dual SIM blue phone that I was able to take and I gave it to a friend of mine, um, but he was able to, to use it and, and, and he went out of the country and he was able to use that dual SIM slot to keep his Ting card, Ting SIM card in there, just went into the settings, changed it over to SIM slot two, and without even taking his phone apart or restarting, went from one service in the U.S., to another service outside the U.S., and then back to that U.S. service when he got back. Last.ting.com. Dot com. They're going to give you 25 bucks. My bill with my wife and a hotspot is 24 bucks a month. That's about what we average. So that's two phones plus a hotspot. It's only six bucks a line. If I can get away with 24 bucks a month, if you're a single person and you only have one line, man, I could easily see you milking that for two or three months if you if you really paid attention and you're on if you're on Wi-Fi and you're using if you don't want to use Zoiper you could use like Hangouts Dialer that's a, it's a free you know setup ready to go system you just apply for a Google Voice number they give it to you, you install the Hangouts Dialer you can funnel all of your calls over data 
You can do your text messages over Hangouts, or if you're you know a smart human being, you'll send that over Telegram. And uh, then, of course, you know emails, that's all going to be data. But you can get your phone calls, your text messages, and your data all to go over data. And then, of course, when you're on Wi-Fi, you're not paying for that. So last.ting.com. And a huge thanks for Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. So Ryan... And just like... Go ahead. Good, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, just like with the with the last uh, sponsor, I also uh, use Ting. Uh, one thing that I really, really like is that for each of my phones, I've when I've bought a new phone, I've sold my old, my old phone. And mm-hmm. uh, I went from a Nexus 5 to a OnePlus 1 to a Nexus 6. And each time I paid for most of my phone, my current phone, with my past phone. Did you, oh you and, sold it and then okay, and and actually with when I sold the Nexus Five I got more for it than what I paid for the One Plus One. No kidding. And so uh, yeah, so I've I've being off contract and just buying and selling my phones outright has been really really good for me. So there's that. Sure. Yeah. They uh, and again like you know going back to the Best Buy thing they have the the uh, the six P they actually stock in Best Buy you can buy it off contract completely unlocked work on all of your services with no problems um, and so it's yeah, I don't know to me that seems like a really great way to go all right our first news story is uh, Skype is now usable on Skong, uh, on Chromebooks and GNU slash Linux and so a lot of you know for a long time Skype Linux has kind of gotten the short end of the of of the uh, of the stick when it comes to Skype. But it says if you're a GNU Linux user, then you'll be uh, you'll be very aware at how horrible Skype is on the platform. Not only has it not been updated since 2014, but the Skype team at Microsoft. But when you're bored, uh, they added extra hoops and complications as time went on. Um, basically, we are not able to use the web version of Skype. In addition to that, they have also made it, the, the Skype client is basically useful for um, like very, very basic video conferencing and nothing more. Um, you can, you could, it's, it's okay if you want to chat with like a friend or a family member, I guess. Um, but they, on, on Linux, they limit you to four by three aspect ratio, which is why we can't use it for any of the shows um, or people complain. Um, and they have, they have, when they redid the client, uh, about a year ago or so, they changed it in such a way that all of the old versions of the client wouldn't work at all. Ryan, do you use Skype for anything on Linux? I only when I'm forced to. Okay. Uh, Not your preference. I, no, it, I used to really, really like Skype and then Microsoft bought it and, uh, I'm learning to not hate Microsoft these days, but you know, it's 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 still kind of difficult. Is this what the exciting news was that I read about no. earlier in the week? No, it's okay. not, Ryan. I don't. At least I don't think so. If we're talking about the same thing, Ryan, I think you're talking about this, which is the uh, which was an announcement that says tune in for a community question and answers here on the Linux discussion board for the 13th of July, 2016, at 7 a.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. GMT, to learn more. That's really all they've given us. But basically, some sort of exciting news for Skype on Linux is coming, and I, I assume this is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. I I have, uh, so they, they haven't leaked out what exactly the the secret sauce is here that they're, they're going to announce. I haven't seen it, but would you like to know my speculation? Sure, yeah, all right, here's absolutely. My, all right, here's my speculation. My speculation is that they, that, uh, that, they haven't touched the Skype version for Linux. And my guess is, 
I, 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 I don't know why. I don't know why they're concerned about Skype on the Linux desktop. It, except for that they have this ongoing message like Microsoft loves Linux and we want to be in bed with Linux. But unless I can make money off of it, I don't know why they'd care because let's face it, that's really what Microsoft's interest is. Linux is, is profiting off the backs of the open source community. So how they plan to do that, I'm not exactly right. sure. But the it, it, I would guess that they are coming out with a refreshed Linux client um, and please, for the love of God, support 16 by 9 aspect ratio because it would fundamentally solve a ton of problems that we're trying to sidestep in like a bazillion different ways uh, and and have not had a ton of success in doing so. So, if, and really, I'm not asking for that much. If they if they would just let V4L, the, 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 the video, the, the Linux video layer handle figuring out what the frame rate is and the, and the, and the resolution and, and, and all, and the, the, you know, the color space and all that stuff and just take from that, just write the Skype client to basically take that, that V4L thing, you'll be fine. It could be that they want to have a, you know, that they're, they're going to totally redo Skype for the web. And, you know, if, the, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense from Microsoft standpoint, because if they, you know, introduce video calling on the web, which is fine, we could use it, then it works on Linux, it works on Chromebooks, it works on Macs, it works on, you know, Android, Windows Phone, whatever. They only have to write one client, and they have it work on, on all of these devices. But my guess is that there's going to be some big refresh uh, and give some new great functionality to Linux users, be it either on a native client or more likely a web client. What do you think? Yeah, I think that you're probably right. Uh, it's probably some form of, it's similar to like an Electron app and it just exposes uh, Skype on the web. If it's something native and it worked well, I will be very, very surprised. I'll be happy for the times that I do have to talk to folks who are using Skype and and that's their preferred you know video calling platform but i am cautiously optimistic i did have a really good conversation at ozcon with some microsoft guys uh specifically the team that was working on the um ubuntu on windows uh feature and uh they are very good people and they really love linux mm -hmm. and so uh there's they told me that there's uh, a lot of folks in Microsoft who actually use Linux, like at Microsoft, mm -hmm. and they're using it for their on their desktop, uh, on their work desktop. And so the it there might be a group inside of Microsoft that's kind of saying like, hey, maybe we should do this. You know, it may not be a big profit center, but at least then uh, those of us in the organization can then sure. continue using that painlessly. Uh, to communicate with each other. Uh -huh. I don't know if that actually would be enough pressure to to uh, cause this to happen. But if they if the if it's a native client and it works better, I'm I'm happy. If it's a web wrapper type thing, I'm still happy because right now I've had just really bad luck with the native one. But uh, I'm less impressed there. Sure. Uh, honestly, I guess we'll just have to sit back and see. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic, like I said before. Uh, yeah. I hope so, that so they're really doubling down on Linux support. But so the chat room is the chat room is saying that maybe what happened was the uh, they're going to do a snap package. Now the interesting thing about that is the timing couldn't be better, right? We have 
for three weeks, I think we've talked about different variations on snap packages and flat packs and app image and whatever. This might be exactly what Microsoft was waiting for and said, listen, we can deploy one time a native app and then everyone on Linux can use it. And then the Linux community loves us. And somehow we'll find a way to steal money from them because that's what we do because we're Microsoft. I would beg you to reconsider this, I, this concept of trying to trust Microsoft or learning to like Microsoft. I mean, I get it. Like they, they're, they're the, the message coming out, I see their mouth moving and I see the message. I see the words coming out and I hear them. I just don't buy it. I, I just, yeah, a tiger just doesn't change the stripes. Kind of. There, I think that there are good people over there who are advocates for Linux. I think that that I I have mad respect because that seems like that would be a really frustrating position to be in. Uh, but more so, I I guess I could see the snappy thing. Um, I could see the canonical guys saying like, "Hey, we helped you out." Now we'd really like you to show your solidarity by showing that you support this standard. Sure. Um, that's an interesting thing I hadn't really thought about. Uh, but I, I guess it, you know, we'll just have to wait and see it. It'll be very, really interesting to see what, what kind of announcements this is. If it's just like, Hey, we, we, uh, we're just making a, a wrapper for our web application mm -hmm. like that'll be it'll be good i guess because at least then we'll get the most up-to-date version of that chat but, room is chat room uh, is doubling down on this idea that microsoft sucks and it's probably going to be a they're going to end up here's what the chat room is saying microsoft is going to break your heart words are cheap actions are more important and it's definitely going to be a snap package yeah well the another guy said that it'll just be a new button in the in Skype that says upgrade to Windows 10 and you click it and it just wipes your whole system and install Windows 10 on it. While funny, not probable. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> think so either. But but uh that's kind of my level of uh I guess interest in, in this update. They could surprise me, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold my breath. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Android's full in disk uh, disk encryption just got much weaker. That's the headline from RS Technica. The article goes on to say, privacy advocates take note. Android's full disk encryption just got dra uh, dramatically easier to defeat on devices that chip uh, that use a chip from semiconductor maker Qualcomm, thanks to a new research that reveals several methods to extract crypto keys off a locked handset. These me methods include publicly available attack code that works against an estimated 37% of enterprise users. A blog post Thursday published on Thursday, revealed that in stark contrast to the iPhone's iOS, Qualcomm-powered Android devices store the disk encryption keys in software. That leaves the keys vulnerable to a variety of attacks that can pull off a device. From there, the keys can be loaded onto a server cluster, field programmable gate array, or supercomputer that has been optimized for super fast password cracking. You know, this is, I think this is kind of the thing, this, I would guess if Chris were here, this would be the kind of thing that he would say more people should be upset about and more people should be talking about. And the fact that we're not says that we've become complacent when it comes to Google and Android devices. Ryan, you're an Android user and I'm an Android user. Now I have, I'm guessing that you, this, here's where I'm going to guess that you and I are different. I actually don't like Android. I don't like iOS. I don't really like Windows Phone. There's, there's really no mobile platform that I actually legitimately like. I can tolerate Android 
more than I can tolerate iOS or Windows phones. One, because the app infrastructure supports more of my line of work. So for example, there was an OS ticket available on Android before there was one on iOS, like long before, like I've been using it for a year. I've been using it for a year before there was even one available and things like Wi-Fi analyzer and stuff like that. There are some alternatives in iOS, but I don't think they, they quite match up one-to-one. Um, but beyond that, I don't trust the platform at all. I don't have any private data on there, so much so that I don't even care if my phone is locked. For a long time, I was just using the swipe lock because I just, I, I just don't care. I know that you use Android, but it seems like you kind of get into it a little bit. I know that you actually went out with the OnePlus One. What, why is it that you choose to be on Android, and what are the things that you like or don't like about it? Well, let's draw a... a a line between Google and Android. I know it becomes more and more difficult as they install their Google Play services and that becomes more and more of the heart. And without Google, Android is basically useless? Yeah, but, you know, for the longest time I was using CyanogenMod and Paranoid Android and all sorts of other ROMs that I really enjoyed. I I like the feeling of my computer or my uh, phone being like my computer and being able to throw different essentially distros on it Mm -hmm. Uh, i've used ubuntu phone quite a lot um i i guess at the end of the day i don't really necessarily love android but it's the most open platform as far as the most open platform that actually has apps right now and that's and that may change in the future, uh-huh. but the the thing is, that I as a business owner like you, mm-hmm. I have to get stuff done, so I right. have to have like a device. That, right, especially in the way that the world runs today. Yes, you know the people expect you to be present all the time. Yep, and to be able to answer questions all yep. the time. Yep, and so I have to have that. And whenever I was using my Ubuntu phone, I there was I was almost there, but I was just missing some core yep. things or had to spend longer than I wanted to 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 you know reply to certain messages and things like that. And so I came back to Android and and I You know, you bring up an interesting point. Android Linux actually really, if you think about it, the, the thing that we like about Linux and the, one of the things that we as Linux enthusiasts like about uh, installing our own operating system on our computer rather than just taking what comes from the store is that we can tailor our experience to be exactly what we want it to be on the on the computer itself. And so if I don't like Ubuntu, if I don't like the desktop environment, I have the choice of GNOME. If I don't like GNOME, I have the choice of KDE or Mate, whatever. I, I, I have that choice, but that fundamentally relies on my ability to install the operating system I think best suits me on the device. Now, when it comes to Apple and iOS, I think that might be one of the things that I've never been able to articulate before, but it does really bother me about iOS is that with with Apple and iOS, your choices are carry the one iOS and that's it. That's your choice on Apple devices. There is no other operating system, at least on Android. However convoluted it is from Google and however crappy Android as an operating system is, at least there are other arguably more or less crappy choices, right? Right. There's, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot altogether. Uh, (laughs) This specifically, this encryption problem uh, and, just 
making your data like safe is something that I've continued to think about more and more lately. Uh, for instance, the I take pictures. If I take a picture on my phone mm-hmm. and I don't want it to go somewhere, like I've noticed that I actually would have to go in there and make some changes now because by default, a lot like it wants to upload to, you know, Google Photos. And if I install Dropbox to be able to read some stuff that some folks save at work, mm-hmm. like it wants to immediately like, hey, let's upload all your pictures here. And I know that's kind of a tangent, but it's it is worrying because these platforms are so tied into to whoever is the gatekeeper. Right. And I don't know how much I don't know how much privacy you have on your phone even with encryption. Like Yeah. No, I don't I don't trust app you and so I don't trust the fundamental <laughs> operating system, so I don't trust any of the pr- the protections that are on top of it. Um you know, that's so I mean, we've kind of gotten off on and why Android is good or bad rather than the actual news article, but that's okay. The the uh, it doesn't matter to me. It, the art, this particular news story is irrelevant because even if the even if I was told that the encryption was functioning a hundred percent, how do I know? What guarantee do I have? How can I be sure that Google isn't taking all of that data or syncing it when the data is unencrypted? Like, sure, maybe it's encrypted at rest when I shut the phone off or lock it or whatever. But at the end of the day, if I can open it in an app, that means that Google potentially has access to that data to begin with. I, I, there's there's really nothing. I don't think that there's anything that's going to happen at this point that's going to convince me that Android is a is a safe operating system for me to pour pr- private data on. And so because of that, I just don't trust it for anything. Now, the chat room brought up about mobile banking and said if they were doing mobile banking on on their on Android, then they would care, uh, you know, about the security and the encryption. I'll tell you why I don't. My bank has a zero liability clause. If If I didn't authorize a transaction... If it's not my fault, it's not my problem. The bank takes care of it. I make one call to my banker and I say, hey guys, had this little problem, this didn't work. And I actually use a lot of online banks that I can do a lot of this stuff myself. I can go in and click on a transaction and say, nope, that wasn't me. Nope, that wasn't this. And I am on online banking constantly. So if somebody's gonna add you know, inside of the transfers or take money out or something like that, I would catch it almost immediately. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about it, but um, the chat room saying that that's basically... Uh, that's basically where 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 yeah. they where they would be at. Here's the here's the thing that you have to think about. What's the what's why would you be focused on your your main focus can't be privacy when you're using an operating system that's produced by a company that makes money off of yep. mining your data. Well said. Selling selling it to advertisers like well said. If I don't love and I don't love Android, I don't love Google. The because you intrinsically built into their business model is this idea of let's go ahead and suck up as much data as we can about you and then use that to target you with ads. Mm -hmm. The, so I don't, it's (laughs) at the end of the day, like I, I guess I, if we're going to talk about, you know, encryption and privacy and all this stuff on the Android platform, yes, it's important. There are there are other ways to get uh, privacy and good encryption on your on your device. For instance, like the Black Phone, you know the uh, you might look that up. 
Mm. It's an android that's been, you know, locked down <laughs> as much as they can. Sure. And uh, and there are other people attempting to do that to it, so you can still use your Android apps. And, and that's what's important, you know. If you want to get stuff done, you have to have access to the applications you need to get your work done. Um, but... But if you're just going with, with stock Google or even CyanogenMod now with, with the tie-ins with both Google and Microsoft, right? Like you're, you just have to accept some things from the, from the outset. And one of those is that your privacy is going to be compromised. Yep, exactly. To go back to the story, I don't want, I don't want somebody pop, picking my phone up and knowing that it's my phone and getting in and seeing you know, like the Mycroft, you know, bank information and things like that, account information. Mm-hmm. So, of course, yeah, we don't important. we don't want it to. But at the end of the day, what from a from a tactical, practical perspective, what actually happens if somebody gets your bank account information for, for Mycroft? What what would really happen other than it being a mild inconvenience? You'd have to call your bank. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, your point's your point's true. I mean, we would we would immediately start taking action on that, but the, but like, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you, on one side, you don't want your phone to just be picked up and and opened up, and people can can just see whatever they want. But conversely, you you shouldn't really expect a ton of privacy on these on these mobile platforms or at least on on android i I, ios i'm kind of torn yeah i mean yeah i I, well yeah i don't think that i don't think that we should have to give up our privacy for anything but i do understand google's revenue model i do understand why they do the things they do you know the chat room just mentioned they said that last the last mobile version that they really got behind and enjoyed was palm os and i tell you what i 100 percent agree i didn't have one single complaint about palm os in fact the only reason the only reason I stopped using Palm OS was because I milked it. I used Palm OS, I think, till 2010 or 2011. I mean, I was using Palm OS way past when you were supposed to be using Palm OS, and I made it work. But it got to a point where, like, no site would load in the browser anymore, and the thing was just totally bogged down. But that was my way of doing things, where everything was on the device, and I simply put it in the cradle at night and hit a sync button, and it dropped all my data onto my computer, but it wasn't cloud-connected. I could access the internet if I needed to. I could send emails if I needed to. That was just the way to go. All right, enough on this story, enough about Android. I want to talk about Mycroft. Ryan, you might have something uh, to add on this, I would guess. As some of you may or may not know, uh, this is this is Ryan's wheelhouse. This is, this is what you spend your time doing. So um, this article, uh, the headline is The Open Source Answers to Natural Language Platforms. And the article goes on to say, We're thrilled to be working with Mycroft, the open source answer to proprietary language I'm sorry, the answer to proprietary natural language platform, Mycroft has has adopted Ubuntu Core and Snaps to deliver their software to Mycroft hardware, as well as Snaps to enable the desktop users to install the software regardless of their Linux distribution. CEO of Mycroft, Joshua uh, Montgomery, explains with his new piece below. And actually, Ryan, I was thinking we'd get it right from the horse's mouth. Um, Could you tell me a little bit about this? Yeah. The so there there are a few different parts to this. One is we've talked about this before on here or on Linux Unplugged about using uh, Ubuntu Core and Snappy packages to deliver Microsoft software. Uh, there's a lot of really neat aspects to that. There's uh-huh. you know these 
smart rollbacks. So if you if we accidentally send out something that we didn't mean to, mm-hmm. we can have Mycroft essentially, you know, check like did that update go smoothly? No, uh-huh. it didn't. Okay, we're gonna roll back to the last version that worked, as well as you know the the ability to kind of create these packages, these snap packages, and then say to anybody on any distro, hey, you know what? If if it hasn't been packaged yet for your distro, why don't you just go ahead and and install it the snappy way with SnapD and and get off to the races? Um, all around though, uh, we're we're very happy to just be working with Canonical. They're they get a in this community sometimes they get painted as the bad guys, but they're but they're they're not. They're really just trying to make Linux easy in a lot of cases mm-hmm. and make good solid open source um projects and uh and they just happen to be a company and <laughs> have folks that they they want to pay at the same time sure, sure um so so they've been super super helpful they've been everyone over there has been really interested in what mycroft means for the future of open source uh interactions with computers because if you look at for instance the amazon echo Mm -hmm. or the or google home that's going to be coming out Mm -hmm. we can tell that there is a a desire for a product in this space uh there are a lot of people who are if you ask there's been some polling done recently um, or where they ask people who have Amazon Echo, how often do you use your Echo? And the most common answer is at least a couple times a day, which is quite a lot, actually, um, you know, for for that device, for a new device that's kind of still finding its place in people's homes. And so people like to interact with their computers in these way, in this way, and it's really good to have the open source community including canonical um, getting behind a player in this space, an open source player in this space. And, let's try, let's try uh, and tie a couple of these things together. So we were talking, uh, our pastor was talking about privacy. Now, the FBI has, has come out and said that they can neither confirm nor deny that the Amazon Echo uh, Alexa is listening to you basically whenever. So does this change? Do you think that this changes the landscape uh, as Microsoft comes into this space and and the code can be audited and people can understand exactly what that code is doing? And so, you know, I said I couldn't trust Android because I have no way of verifying some of these things, but I can verify some of these things with Mycroft. Is that not true? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one thing that I'd like to point out is when you have a open source platform you have the ability, especially folks in this community, to make changes to meet your desired level of privacy, your desired level of uh, of interaction, and what kind of interactions you want to have with the device and when you want it to be listening and when you don't. And what we've already seen that with people who are taking it, and now there's a QT application, there's a GNOME 3 extension, there's a uh, Electron application, and there's all these different Mycroft front ends. And what they've done in those situations is sometimes they've said, hey, I don't want listening all the time. I just want listening when I press the big button, you know, or, 
yeah, I only want it listening when I do this or that or the other. And so you can't do that necessarily with the echo. Like Mm. you, (laughs) I don't know how you'd go about doing that other than go up and physically like touch the mute button when you want it to, to be listening and then touch it when you want to turn it back off. But the, but the ability, yeah, to audit this stuff is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of upset that more people in the open source community aren't realizing that Um, we've, we've received some feedback in the past. And I think I've talked about it here where some people have said like, I'm not, I'm not sure why I wouldn't just buy an, an Amazon echo. And it's like, well, (laughs) well, I think part of it is that we live in a meme world, right? So, so basically what'll happen is we have to wait until there's some big event that we can all rally around and change our profile pictures on Facebook to some colored thing and have some sort of, and have some sort of graphic and some sort of catchy slang and, and a hashtag and a, you know, so, you know, maybe someday somebody gets arrested for, I don't know, uh, smoking pot or something. And they, the, the FBI found out about it because they were listening to their Amazon echo. And then that story gets about, and then, right. we'll, then we'll go ahead and take the, uh, take that person and we'll put them up on a pedestal and we'll decide that they're amazing and that they're being unfairly targeted by the government. And then it'll turn into a big thing. And then people will do the hipster thing and, and look at alternatives. And I think until we get to that meme like rally that we can all have an event and privacy matters, you know, or whatever, uh, some, if we can have a hashtag about it, then nobody cares. Uh, and basically people are just happy that they can tell Alexa to play their favorite music and it plays. But Ryan, with the news out of the way, I can't, I'm so excited to show you and I'm so excited to show our audience exactly how we at AltaSpeed have ch- fundamentally changed our help system so that we can remote into other people's computer, both automated and on a request without having to have them necessarily install any pre-configured software or mess with their, with their firewall. So with the news out of the way, let's head in and take a look at Simple Help. A couple of months ago, AltaSpeed told you that we ran into a catastrophic problem with our help desk solution. Basically, that day or two days after we launched our remote help desk solution, our current solution string connector screwed us and screwed us hard. They changed their pricing model so that it was no longer a persistent price and you had to pay an ongoing fee to continue to use their product. Worse yet, I couldn't even use my existing installation. We've spent a lot of time and a lot of months looking at a replacement. We finally found one and I'm going to tell you exactly what that is. But but first, I want to tell you about my friends over at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. We beat the heck out of the unplugged guys and stole their promo code so you guys can get the same deal. What is Linux Academy? Linux Academy is an online college of sorts where you can go and get all of the training that you need online on your own timetable. I spend a lot of my time between the hours of 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. just lying awake trying to wind down after a hard day's of work. Lately, I've been using Linux Academy to take classes on programming and system administration to learn about the various things on Linux. And you can, if you use our promo code linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, you'll save a ton of money and you'll be able to get that same education. When I travel for education, not only am I spending money on the actual traveling side of it, I'm also spending money away from my family, which there's an emotional cost to that, but also a travel cost and the fact that I'm not taking any money in from my clients. Linux Academy has fundamentally changed the way I'm able to do that so I can now Take these classes online in the form of nuggets, do just a couple hours a night, or, and I'm not necessarily recommend doing this, but even while I'm traveling, 
uh, down the road. I'll turn it on. Just listen to the audio portion of it. I'm not actually watching the, the, the lessons, but I'm listening to the audio portions. It's connected to my car stereo, and I can actually pick up a large amount of information. Consecutive or concentric circle learning is really the best way to learn something thoroughly. So going over something numerous times, even if you don't understand it the first couple of times, it'll eventually start to sink in. So head over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to take advantage of our promo code and let them know that you watch the Linux Action Show and that it's worth their time to continue to support the Linux Action Show. We thank you guys for your support. So going into the main uh, segment, what I'm really excited to talk about is Simple Help. That's the program that has fundamentally changed my ability to uh, communicate and work with our clients. Now, we were previously using Screen Connect, and some of the things that we were looking for was an application that was self-hosted, that did not require configuration on the client side, did not require any configuration of the router, and uh, was cost-effective. So Simple Help is not free, but it is very cost-competitive. And basically, you pay for a concurrent connection. So if I have seven techs that work for AltaSpeed, we know that only two of them at any one time are, are establishing a remote support session with a client. So we can leverage that and say, we will pay for two consecutive licenses, cost us a couple hundred bucks. But then, whether I have one client or 10,000, um, we can connect to it, two of those at one time, any two technicians to any two clients with no uh, with no problems. Additionally, it also lets us install a client-side solution on dedicated clients. So if you have in an office building of 150 people, we can install the client solution so that we can remotely connect without having to have any interaction with the user. And then that stores that all inside of an access control panel. And I can just double click or group all of those computers and access them without the user's intervention. If we have a one-off thing, we simply send them to a given URL and they click on a link and boom, we're connected to their computer. So it's super straightforward. Now I have skipped the part where you request a trial license from simplehelp.com. And I've also skipped the part where you click on create droplet. If you don't know how to do those two things, you should not be supporting other people. Let somebody else do that. But assuming that you could handle those two simple steps, here's exactly how to get simple help up and running. Okay, so now that we have our DigitalOcean droplet spun up and created, I'm gonna to drop to a command line and we're gonna to go to our downloads folder. And there we have the simple help tar.gz file. So we're going to copy that file to root at helpme.altspd.com, put it in the root directory. And of course, our YubiKey is going to help us with the authentication, so it will simply just prompt us for a pin, and we'll give it that. And basically, it's going to copy our file. So we'll come back in a couple seconds and take it from there. Okay, our file has finished copying. So we're going to go ahead and SSH back into this box. And again, our YubiKey will help us with the authentication, so we'll just have to provide our PIN. Okay, so we're going to go to the root directory, and we can see here there's our simple help file. So let's go ahead and extract that simple help file. Okay, and then we can see we now have a simple help directory, so we'll go into that directory. And if we look here, there is our start server script. So we'll go ahead and execute that start server script. Okay, and now our server has started up. Okay, so we wait for a little bit and it, then it gives us this message to connect to the internet, go to that site. So 
turns out we actually have DNS in 2016, so we're going to go to helpme.altspd.com. And here we get to the simple help site. Now, what we can do is we can go to the technician access page, and this downloads the technician access application. So we'll go ahead and extract this. And inside of the downloads, we'll go ahead and run that file. And now it asks us to install our license. And then inside of here, we can specify that file. And now we have our simple license is active. And of course, if you paid for a simple uh, help license, then you would have persistent access to this. This gives us access, I think, for two weeks or something like that. We're not going to back up the server configuration right now. So this is all that's needed to get simple help up and running. Now let's take a look at what it looks like to actually connect to a customer's computer. Okay, we're over here at our client machine and we've downloaded the simple help customer application and we launch it. We enter in our user details and we connect. Now if we go back here to our technician console, we see that the sad helpless Windows user is in the queue. So we'll go ahead and connect to the sad helpless Windows computer. And now you can see I have a window here where I can control sad helpless Windows computer's computer. So I'll point them to jupiterbroadcasting.com where they can learn about system administration and, of course, Linux. I can send communication uh, to the, the user. I can even access their terminal and send commands directly to the terminal if I need to. So this really gives me a ton of access to their computer and allows me to do a lot of stuff, again, without them having to necessarily install anything. They simply have to download a tiny little client and double click on it. It does not require them to change the permissions to have executable privileges on that client. If it's on Linux, it works on Linux, Windows, and Mac OS. And this is what AltaSpeed has switched to for remote support. So hopefully this helps you see that you can get this up and running in just a couple of minutes. And it's not very complicated and definitely is cross-platform and priced competitively. They don't have a free version, but the pricing is very low, and you can try it for a couple weeks to see if you like it before you buy. And so that's basically what we've done over at AltaSpeed to get Simple Help up and running, and we've been using it. Now, I have specific clients that I know are less technically savvy than others, and so that's the first time that I actually got it set up for them and had them run through it, and they were able, to, and I was able to get connected to the computer like a snap. It was phenomenally simple. Um, that's how I knew that this was the right solution. Now, additionally, I want to make sure that everyone is aware that I am already aware of Baumgar. I know that it's the industry standard. I know a ton of people that are using it, but I also know how expensive it is. And a little secret, they have screwed a bunch of people in the past. They had the, uh, I think the 200 series unit that they were selling. And uh, basically they decided up and overnight, hey, we're no longer going to support this anymore. And so they pulled support from the device and you were no longer able to use it. And so you were left with, you know, a couple thousand dollar investment that was basically better suited to, you know, adjusting the height of your monitor. Um, 
I've heard from a couple people, though I haven't verified it myself, that if you have an old Bombgar box, it's basically just a little Atom server inside. And so you could repurpose that for something like Simple Hunt. Personally, we just host it up on DigitalOcean because for five bucks a month, it isn't worth the hassle. But that's uh, a look at Simple Hope. You can get more information at simple-help.com. You can request a free trial and use it for a couple weeks and see what you think of it. It has fundamentally changed the way that we're able to do remote support, and I hope that you'll find it as well. With the main segment out of the way, let's take a look at the feedback. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we get out of here, we have some feedback. Now, if you want to send feedback over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on the contact link and choose the Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu. And our magic fairies will send the feedback right to our email box. Before we get to the feedback, though, I want to tell you about system76.com. That's not system76.com. Let me tell you about system76.com. <laughs> system76.com, my friends over there, are the people who make the best Linux computers. It's the computer that I'm running on right this very second. It's the computer that I have as my workhorse laptop that's sitting out over there in my office. I can't quite remember where it is. Um, and it is the computer that, uh, that, 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 that has saved Jupiter Broadcasting numerous times. In fact, it is the computer that I learned about our Spotlight this week, uh, OBS, on. If you go over to system76.com, they have a plethora of computers that you can order from, and they are actually the sales over, I think, now. But if you would have bought them last week, you would have gotten a great sale. And I'm sure if you keep your eye on them, another one will come up soon. Now, here's a secret this is only for Jupiter Broadcasting listeners. If you email Emma at system76.com and tell her, Noah, switch me to Linux because you couldn't, she'll send you something special. I can't tell you what it is because it's top secret, but system76.com, make sure to let them know that the Linux Action Show sent you over there if you want a problem-free Linux computer. And I, have, I, I can tell you firsthand, I've owned Lenovo, I've owned Dell, I've owned HP, I've owned Sony, I've owned Fujitsu, do you remember them? I've owned Acer. You name a computer manufacturer, I have not only owned but gotten Linux to run on them. And hands down, I've had problems with every single brand at one time or the other, every single brand has had one problem uh, except System76. That's the only brand I have ever purchased that I've never had a single uh, issue getting Linux to install and run on. And if by some crazy chance that you, you run into some issue, you're going to have people that eat, live, and breathe Linux all day, every day. To the point that that they don't even I, I I don't even know that they they're really cognizant of the other operating systems that are out there and what they're doing. They're, they they live and breathe Ubuntu that much. So system76.com. Make sure to tell them that the Linux Action Show sent you. Our first email comes to us from Billy and Billy. Uh, uh, or I'm sorry, not Billy. Billy's not the first one. Jeff is the first one. Jeff writes in and he says, I've got a question for you. I'm running Linux Mint 18 as a media center PC connected to a TV. I have disabled the screensaver completely, but under power management settings, I set the screen to turn off when inactive for one hour. My TV has an auto shutdown feature that powers it the powers off the unit if there is nothing on the display for 30 minutes. I like the setup because if I walk away from the media center, the TV will automatically shut down after 90 minutes. Um, as long as I am watching media with Cody, the display will not shut off. But if I'm watching the big show or the, or YouTube or Netflix in Chrome, the system does not recognize that I'm playing video. And so the screen will turn off, uh, in one hour into the movie because Netflix, for example, I have tried caffeine and a few different scripts that are supposed to disable the screen saver when a browser is playing, but the video, uh, but it doesn't seem to affect the power options. Any suggestions? 
Um, and the second part is if you've ever SSH into a system and start some big copy or tar command and uh, or something, and then you do something stupid like close your laptop and close the putty window, what's putty, or stupid Windows crashes, what command, what happens to the command that you are running? I know that the files are still copying, but I've lost the standard output. Once I reestablish the connection to the server, I can recover the standard output of Curiosity running uh, out of a currently running command. I don't think I can just use the FG command because the job was never sent to the background. Am I right or am I missing something? You are right. If the connection is broken, to the best of my understanding, and I can pass this off to you, Ryan, to the best of my understanding, once you, if, if the connection is severed and that command was being run uh, as a part of that SSH establishment, once that, once that SSH session terminates, the command is, is, is going to fail and you're going to have to, to redo them. Am I, am I right on that? Yeah, yeah. There's, there are ways around that. There are, you know, you can disown the yeah the command the or i mean or performing i would recommend you just use rsync and then that way you can just pick back up and it'll i mean yes half the data will be copied half of it won't it'll just it'll just pick back up uh, because if you knew ahead of time yeah. you're going to put it in the background then you wouldn't be asking the question probably uh, yeah, regarding your right. regarding your first question um so what i've done is i have just found all sorts of cockamamie ways to play all of my media inside of an actual media player like VLC. The Big Show, for example, you could download the MP4 or you could stream it right off of YouTube, copy that link, open file, you know, open network stream, and then paste that YouTube link in and it will actually play the YouTube video right inside of VLC. Now that's advantageous for a couple of reasons because not only does it's, it will not put your display to sleep, but additionally, if you have two displays connected, you can full screen it in one and still work on the other one without the, the screen constantly, you know, going back into windowed mode. Also, if, and I do this all the time, I listen in the background to something and then I hear something that's super interesting to me, I'll reach over and hit alt left arrow, right arrow, which will fast forward back or forward. And I can jump back and, and re-listen to that part of the, um, to, to that part of the, that part of the video. Ryan, do you have any suggestions of how he can keep his computer alive when it's connected to a media PC? Honestly, uh, not really. I, I, turn off all of the power management settings all the time because when it is going to go out, it's going to go out right in the middle of an important call yeah. or while I'm watching something that I really don't want to have to run up real quickly when it starts to dim and, you know, move the mouse or whatever. It's, I've never had good luck with the automatic screensaver and, and, uh, and, and, Sure. The, um, the, the, the other advantage of having all of that stuff shut off is if it's truly a media center, right? Just leave it connected to your TV and, uh, maybe don't be lazy and just turn the power off. I have an automated remote. Uh, it's uh, one of those universal deals where I can push one button and a bunch of things happen. So you might just have that set up. Uh, and maybe there's, you know, and there are ways that you can program macros into that. So maybe, you know, the longest, the longest movie is, you know, three hours. So once the start movie button is hit, you could have a timer, and after a certain time, it sends uh, an RF command to an IR blaster to, to kill all of your devices. That might be a way, way around that. Um, our second email comes from Billy, and Billy writes in and says, Hi, guys. I recently started listening to the show, and I love it. Great work. Anyway, in the last episode, Noah made a comment about no longer recommending Ubuntu to new users, and I second that idea. I personally used to use Ubuntu to get newbies into Linux, but haven't had much success of it because of all the issues and how they fundamentally it's fundamentally different from Windows which is where a majority of Linux users come from. With this in mind, I've started to recommend 
OpenSUSE leap to new users. KDE is much closer to the Windows experience than Unity is, and you can't beat the simplicity of Yast with one-click installs. Sure, Kubuntu offers the same environment, but I find OpenSUSE to be a much more stable than Ubuntu while still offering recent versions of software. The Pac-Man repos uh, pretty much have everything you could have used too. Cheers, Billy. I think that this is a... I think this is a... <laughs> Chatroom is recommending Gentoo. What's wrong with you people? What is wrong with you people? Uh, I think that uh, OpenSUSE Leap, I think that a KDE uh, desktop environment has its has its merits. I've run it on... I've had mixed luck. Sometimes I run it and I seem, it seems like it works super, super well. And other times I run an open source Leap and it feels like it just chugs. And I'm not sure why that is or if it's a hardware thing or what. I used to think that KDE was just super heavy and then RottenCorp suggested that I run it on a super slimmed down machine. And so I ran it on like an Atom with like a gig of RAM and it ran beautifully. It wasn't Leap. It was uh, 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 Ubuntu with uh, KDE, so Kubuntu. Um, but for me personally, what I've switched to is Ubuntu Mate. That's what I've been recommending to people. And it re it is really tailored. If ever there was a distro tailored for new users, Ubuntu Mate is it. Now, I understand that there is a difference between Windows and, and the Mate desktop, I get that. But at the same time, you no matter, even KDE, there are going to be some differences, right? So the, is it really that big of a deal if the menu's at the top or at the bottom? And Windows constantly changes their UI anyway. So depending on if you're on 7, Vista, XP, uh, what's the newest one? 8 and 10, uh, either any of that stuff, it doesn't really matter which version you're on. They all have different UI, slightly different UIs. Somate is a little bit of a different UI. Ryan, do you get people interested in Linux? Do you have people that start out on Linux? Absolutely. My whole, everyone who joins the Mycroft team is eventually pressured to run Linux. Good, um, good boy. And uh, yeah, and sometimes we get people on, on uh, you know, Facebook who see like one of our team members with a MacBook. But if they understood how much pressure that person is under to eventually install Linux, then they wouldn't be so upset about that. But the, uh, yeah, so everybody usually pops onto Ubuntu. It's not, it's not because, it's not because of any deep reasoning anymore. You know, it's, it's simply because all of the guides that they're going to find online easily are going to assume that they have Ubuntu. And at the beginning, they oftentimes need those guides. And so it doesn't really matter which dis which flavor of Ubuntu they uh they're using like we we usually just show them we i actually have a couple machines with different desktop environments on them and i show them like oh this is what gnome looks like this is what mate looks like this is what unity looks like hmm. and i walk them through that and usually the person has a pretty good idea after they play around with them for a little while which one they want to you know use um tyler's gonna dislike me for this but uh the there's not a ton of people who really flock to KDE, um, uh -huh. <laughs> at least on my team. Typically, sure. they want Unity or they want uh, GNOME. I think. That and uh, how many of those so, people that haven't chose KDE have have tried it? Uh, well, I had a couple people try it. One of them being my wife, uh, and they they thought it was just too much going on, and uh, that's enough. what I got both times was that there was just too much going on. And, uh, and you know, I kind of felt that way whenever I was running KDE mm -hmm. every day. I mean, it's, it's, 
it's fantastic in that there's so much going on, but that's also the drawback because, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of layers. Uh, and I'm sure that that's changing with maybe with plasma. Uh, it's been long enough since I, since I've run KDE that I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably a little out of it at this point and I need to run it again. But uh, most people really flock to to GNOME or or Ubuntu or Unity yep. on my team. Yep. And uh, and we're still recommending Ubuntu, not because even though a lot of us run Arch or or Ubuntu, uh, who are already running Linux on the team, but uh, it's simply because there's a ton of great guides out there that tell you how to do stuff in Ubuntu. Yep, exactly. And I think that that, that, uh, that really solid Ubuntu base has kept people there for a long time, although, frankly, I see that changing in the, uh, in the short-term future. Hey, guys, guess what? If you want to support the network, you can head over to patreon.com slash today. Now, we've been making a plug all week for the last week to try and get more people to directly sponsor the network. What that means if you're a Patreon subscriber is that we are beholden to you and you alone. And so there's a huge value in going over to patreon.com slash today and signing up. It supports the entire network and fundamentally makes newer and better content possible. Now, I promised you last week, and I've been promising you all week, <clears throat> that we were going to do a cool giveaway. So I had, uh, I had, I, I, I worked with Angela and got a list of all the people that have signed up uh, for Patreon between last week on Sunday and today. And she even sent me one this morning. So the guy that's in there, we got you in there too. We put all the names into a hat and I drew one out. And our winner for a, it's going to be a $50 Amazon gift certificate this time, is Patrick uh, F. So Patrick F, please send me an email, noahjupiterbroadcasting.com. If I don't hear from you in the next couple of days, I'll find a way to get in contact with you. But congratulations, he won a $50 gift certificate to Amazon so he can go buy some uh, some cool Linux hardware. What would I buy for 50 bucks off of Amazon? Ryan, do you have a suggestion, something cool on Linux you could buy for 50 bucks off of Amazon? Yes. Yes. Okay. I do. All right. I, I've been ordering a lot of crap off of Amazon. Okay. And one thing that I ordered the other day. Oh my gosh. You, you know what? Give me 10 seconds. Okay. I'll give you 10 you seconds. While you do that, I'm going to tell you what I would order. I would probably go ahead and order a Raspberry Pi. Uh, the Raspberry Pi 3, I actually have down in my basement. It has become my dedicated uh, tasking computers, like an SSH into things and keep the IRC running and stuff like that. With Ubuntu Mate being so prolific on both the desktop and the ARM architecture, I'm able to, I don't feel like it's a $35 computer. I feel like I'm on a full-fledged desktop as long as I'm not doing anything too resource heavy. Now, this is, it. I really want to thank you guys for going over to patreon.com slash today and signing up. I really appreciate it because it is a, one, it is the dollars are basically the applause that your audience gives you for doing a good job. And that that's, so, by going when, when I when I go on the air and I'm, I'm filling in for Chris, the closest thing that I have to a report card, the closest thing I have to a how did Noah do? Did he totally screw our network up or, or did he do a good job? Is he can look and say how is the audience responding? How did they appreciate the content? And so the fact that he's going to come back and see that we have like 17 or 18 new Patreon subscribers, that's huge. And that and so I from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. It, you, I promise you, um, I was going over some of the details with Angela. It's going to fundamentally change some of the ways that we can do things and expand what we're able to do and bring to you. Um, and so as a thank you, we gave a $50 gift certificate away to Amazon. So you can buy, Ryan? You can buy floppy disk coasters. Really, dude? They're, 
Yeah, really? They, I love these things. $50 they, on Amazon. Uh, they worldwide no, marketplace with free shipping. Yeah. And the best you can come up with is floppy disk coasters. These are awesome. All right. First off, I want to say that they're $10 for a six pack. Okay. Secondly, they're, they're made of, they're, they're really pliable and you can write things on, on the, uh, on the little label there. And so one of my friends, this is going to be his, uh, his, uh, his name is Stefan. It's going to be Stefan's dirty pictures on this one. And, uh, this one will probably be some early Linux like Slack or something. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just shaking his head. I just, I love these things. They floppy so disk cool. coasters, dude. Really? That's the best you can yeah. come up with. I yeah. Just... Yeah. Yeah. They are awesome. Well, I'm not going <clears> to, <throat> I'm not going to defend it. Patrick, it's the best purchase I've made ever. Patrick, you go ahead and make your own decision. You can have... Uh, Microtech makes a $35 enterprise-grade router that has embedded uh, router OS, which is based on Linux. You can do VPN. You can do firewalls. You can It's command-line-based. You can go ahead and do the, do the, do the web UI. You could do that. Uh, of course, the Raspberry Pi is definitely an option. Hey, I found a, a mixture, a USB audio mixer that plugs straight into Linux. That's $50. bucks. mm hmm or you could do you could buy floppy 30, disk coasters. 30 floppy disk coasters. Yeah. I, I think you know which decision you need to make. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, the choice is yours, Patrick, so we'll let you decide. Hey, before we get out of here, I want to make a, a couple of things. So patreon.com slash today. Um, it's too late to enter for the giveaway, but you could still sign up and show your appreciation for the network. And again, as a thank you uh, to all the hardworking people that work over there. If you want to contribute to the show, contribute stories, or have an ongoing discussion, or tell me how much you hate me. Actually, hate mail goes to alan at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Sorry. But uh, everything else, all positive, uh, constructive criticism, or future stories, go over to reddit.com slash r slash linuxactionshow, or linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Either will work. And go ahead and submit your stories there. If you want to submit uh, feedback for the show, jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on the contact link and choose the Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu. You can follow me throughout the w week at Colonel Linux on the Twitter sphere. Ryan, where can people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Lee Sipes. Right now it's full of Pokemon Go stuff, but it will return to its normal programming here in the next couple of weeks. There you go. At Chris LAS, that's the Hairmaster's Twitter account. He'll be back with you starting tomorrow. And of course, he'll be back here doing the big show with me next week on Sunday. Thank you so much for letting me host. And, and uh, thank you, Ryan, for joining. We really appreciate having you. Yeah, I really loved it. I'm hoping that uh, sometime in the future I might be able to get on here and share some more Maybe have Mycroft help co-host. Yeah, someday. yeah, we would. Yeah, well, that would be great. That would be absolutely great. Hey, we appreciate all of your support and everyone that tunes in. This show uh, airs at noon Pacific time over jblive.tv or 2 p.m. That's the normal time, Central Standard Time. Um, you can follow us on, uh, we already said the following. In. So that, that's it. That's it. That's we're, we're to the end of the show. Thanks so much for tuning in this week for the Linux Action Show. We'll see you right back here next week. Spending tiny amounts of money on small things make your life infinitely easier. So, for example, Wasa, uh, this tiny little $30 wireless keyboard with the integrated trackpad means that I don't have to carry a mouse and a keyboard over here and, like, set it up or run a USB cable around. Works great for controlling that machine over there. And 
a, uh, uh, what's another example? A long USB extender cable means I can bring, you can't really see it, but this little uh, controller thing over here so I can do scene switching from over here. Again, not a terribly expensive thing, 35 bucks or whatever, change, well, and then 15 for the, or 20 for the little uh, controller thing. But, it, like, infinitely easier makes my life way easier, right? The problem is, after a week of doing that and coming up with all of these little 20, 30, $50 little tiny things, you end up spending, like, tremendous amounts of money and it, and it, 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 it fundamentally changes your ability to make a better show. And it wasn't that any one thing was like super expensive. So you, you can't really, I couldn't really go to you and say, I had to spend, you know, $500 on XYZ and now the show is better. And then explain it. It's more like there's like a billion little tiny itty bitty 10, 15, 20, $30 things that cumulatively add up to a more smooth show. But like if I were to look around the room, I it, I have to like, I'd have to make like a conscious effort to tell you that I, I spent fifty dollars on a keyboard. I don't know. That's that's a, all that to say that uh, I, I every time I fill in for Chris for something, I I become more in tuned with why he does what he does and how he does it. I'm gonna go ahead and just admit that West Jeff is right and that Chris is a wizard. Yeah, he Chris is. is a wizard. I've seen. Have you seen his hair? Yeah, only a wizard can make his hair stay like that. That's true. That's true. All you. Hey, oh. it's the news, and this. Sorry, sorry, right. sorry, 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 sorry. You threw me off. I know. Now I, uh, do you know what? This is ex this. <laughs> this exactly is how it goes. Chris tells me he's ready, and then I go to do something, but he's not ready because, and then, and then I have to say, Ryan, quit screwing around. Jeez.